And good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. We're in our own different time locations. It's the Coffee Cast with Cation and Noah Rubin. Powered by Behind the Racket, my Cation here. Noah Rubin, you are somewhere around London? Yeah, around London, Upper Richmond Road to be exact. And that's just, I've had to say it so many times at this point. Okay, so that means people can come stalk you, so that's fun. Yeah, big um, road. <laughs> very, very long road, I think, would be the better way of saying long. that. Big road implies that it's, you know, eight lanes, and I don't think that's true. No, one lane. <laughs> one lane. <laughs> well, the Coffee Cast is brought to you by our friends at New Balance. Go visit and check out all of the latest outfits, the kits, as it were, at newbalance.com. Uh, it was a busy week. We're going to get to, uh, obviously, what's, what's happening for you. You've already played a match in Wimbledon Qualies. That in a second. Um, busy week as, as people are transitioning to the grass. Um, on the men's side, the big story last week, of course, was the return of Andy Murray on the double side. And somehow the man found a way to a, a victory, partnering with Feliciano Lopez, who, who did the double himself, the singles and the doubles title in Queens. Uh, apparently, I didn't get to watch all of it. I was in Tulsa. But I understand Lopez had five straight winners in the match tiebreak to close it out against Rahm and Salisbury. Uh, so, so good on you, Feliciano. But um, Andy Murray back, smiling, having a good time was a pretty big story. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you feel, but there's so many politics in the world and in tennis that just seeing something that's just so genuine, genuinely and purely happy is just incredible. I mean, this is just a guy who went through, I mean, we remember the interviews of him crying, and now here he is, smiling. It seems pain-free. I mean, we'll see what it is in the singles, but, you know, just to have that, you know, just genuine happiness is, is always great. And, and on top of it, I, I think the interesting storyline is that he's having problems finding a mixed partner. Yes, Wimbledon? all over social media. It's, it's crazy to me. But, I, like, I understand there's so many people who don't necessarily want to play just because of the fact it takes away time if you are a top player and maybe it will distract you from singles if you're also in women's doubles and women's singles as well. Uh, I, I don't you, – you've played with Jamie at the Open, if I remember correctly. Jamie Lowe, I, correct? Yes, I do have to say – yes, we did play together. But I have to say Wimbledon's the slam with three out of five in doubles. Mm, yeah. And that does, I mean, yes, it's on grass, so the points may even be, you know, shorter. But with that being said, it's still, I mean, you're still putting a decent amount of effort. And, yeah, Murray, I'll put on a wig if you want to play some mixed. So just let <laughs> that, me know. You know, I've always thought, actually, that would be a really good look for you. Thank um, you. Yeah. I you mean, know, I those are the, pull it off. It, there are some times when I'm broadcasting and it's my eighth or ninth hour. Um, and I have some odd thoughts that go on <laughs> oh, up God. there. Some really, <laughs> what would Noah Rubin look like with a wig? Um, but uh, one, one guy who looks good no matter what, Roger Federer. Uh, yes. Another title for him in Halle. Um, I think that's number 10 for him, and uh, kind of a milestone yes. in that regard. Uh, it just kind of reminded me some of your, your previous uh, engagements with Mr. Federer down in Melbourne. Uh, I, I know you guys have had some talks down there at times. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about Felici Feliciano and Roger, both at 37, winning titles. Um, God, I mean, are these guys ever going to stop playing? I mean, you know, we always talk about when, you know, will the top guys leave? And it, if they're still winning titles like this and this handily, they should never leave. <laughs> Ash Barty on the women's side, claiming uh, the number one 
crown, if you will, the world ranking number one. Uh, first Aussie number one since 1973. That is a huge deal after winning her first uh, title or first tournament rather right after winning the French Open title in Birmingham that is a very difficult task what's it like making that transition from clay to grass I mean it kind of just proves that she is just a great tennis player I mean her game you know her athleticism is just translated so smoothly from surface to surface and you don't you honestly don't see that nowadays as easily you ask the top people but you know she's up and coming you know i don't know her that well personally but i've only heard great things from other people um you know to be the second from you know your country i believe in the woman's side to to be um number one incredible achievement and to have so much success on all surfaces is something to be said for that once again the social media outpouring for her after winning the or getting to number one is such a big big deal um you just see how many players are very happy for her and she actually took some of the time um, after winning, getting to number one, I keep saying winning number one, you don't actually <laughs> win that, but once she got there, just talking about the mental health struggles that she went through and when she departed from the sport for a period and then came back to it and some of the mental health aspects um, that she battled through, it was, it was kind of nice to see her talking about that a week after we were talking about mental health as well. No, I think it's needed. I think, you know, somebody who made it to the top also had their issues to come out and kind of speak about it shows that you know, nobody's safe from this. I mean, everybody's going to have to deal with it at their own level. And I think we have to be there for one another just to hear each other out. I have to at least talk a, a, just a short moment about the Tulsa Pro Championships futures here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, I got to work as a social media coordinator. It was actually a bit eye-opening for me to see a futures-level event. Um, again, I hadn't seen one in a couple of years, um, and the differences even between the futures and the challengers. Uh, it's tough. It was hot. It was humid. Maxime Cressy, a double winner, taking the doubles title on Saturday with Bernardo Sareva, and then yesterday, singles title over Sam Riffis, one and three, uh, indoors, rainy day here in Tulsa. I have to say, though, Sam Riffis really impressed me. Noah, I, I think he's got some... Um, I was really impressed with his composure throughout the week, um, just how uh, calm he seemed and just uh, confident he seemed without being cocky. Yeah, I mean, the talent at the futures level, if people don't know about it, I mean, it's extreme. It's there. It's just a matter of really trying to break through. And now with them going back to kind of the new ranking system in about a month or so i think it will allow some of these players to kind of make that push and transition to the challenger tour but somebody like sam riffis who i've seen play before really has the game um to make some steps it's uh, honestly it's as we talk about many times it's not about the tennis it really isn't a lot of people are talented it's gonna you know if he wants to fight and dig it out for the next few years and see where he can really you know turn up that's that's what this is all about I will say the tournament director in handing the trophy to Maxime Cressy mentioned your name, Noah, as somebody oh, really? who had competed in Tulsa in years past. I, I don't know that you have any great memories of, of our fine city. No, uh, I do, actually. I mean, it was actually one of the hottest events. Yes. Played some really great tennis players, uh, took out Sangren, took out Escobedo. Um, and this was a week after I was down. I was up almost match point in the finals of NCAAs and gave it away. Mm, Ryan Shane. And then I said I would never do it again, and then I was up 6-2-5-2 against Darian King and lost in the finals of Tulsa. So, yes, uh, mixed emotions with that tournament. <laughs> but still, nonetheless, it was a lot of fun and but great this... ribs. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. I live right down the street from a place called Rib Crib. Uh, mm. If you ever happen to come by, um, yeah, we'll, we'll go there. I took Mike Liu, our challenger supervisor, for a lot of the weeks. I took him to Rib Lucky Crib. Lucky him. He was here. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty good. There was a, there was a bib and everything. Um, <laughs> you, however, are over in London, as we mentioned, playing at Roehampton. Uh, you had a win this morning over Michael Moe. Morning for us, afternoon for you. Uh, just quickly, it's, it's tough playing another American, especially first round of a slam, but it's, I'm sure, nice for you to get through. Yeah, back to back. I played him first round last year and recently found out the chances were somewhere around 0.0062% that we were going to play each other um, today. But it was a tough match. Uh, he's recently coming off injury. You know, I think he's kind of finding his game a little bit and, and myself where, you know, I've, I've played some matches, but obviously I had some difficulties with how um, trying to find the happiness again. But this was a great match. I played well, excited to get through it. And yes, never easy playing another American, which, of course, there was another matchup for only, I believe, nine players in the draw. Four of them played each other. So, yeah. I mean, we were successful. All the Americans, I think, went through besides the people that played each other. So that's, that is you know, that's pretty good. No, that's, that's good. That's, that's fantastic to see uh, Australians on top of it. I think we're eight for eight today. That's um, not bad either. <laughs> yeah, so the Americans and Australians doing pretty well on the men's side of qualies. Um, more on that in, in just a couple of minutes. And Wimbledon, obviously, there's so much tradition um, there's so much that goes into Wimbledon in just terms of the what you guys as players have to prepare for. And that's one of the things we wanted to talk about today. Um, the all-white is the one that draws kind of the attention for, for all of us as fans. The fact that Nike and K-Swiss and New Balance, everybody has to put together these new kits specifically for Wimbledon. What are some of the other... Um, nuances that you guys, uh, the hoops you have to jump through before you play Wimbledon? I mean, you know, fortunately, if you're playing a Qualies Grand Slam, you hope that they're, you're working with some type of company that, you know, so you don't really have to go through the whole tape measure. But, you know, there are some people that do, and you get this whole list as on the tournament detail sheet, and it's really describing the ins and outs of what you can wear. And they're a little bit more lenient at um, the Quali site, which is Roehampton, um, the Bank of England. And but it's still, I mean, you're you're you know, you can only have a certain amount of color. It can only be one centimeter wide. And yes, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the all white. I really do. I love seeing the tradition. But I'll tell you one thing. I mean, the Landers is not wearing all white anymore. They're wearing blue mm -hmm. shirts. Right. So I think. And again, the tradition is great, but I, this goes back to my whole a broader term of I think we're looking at the sport from just this really small lens and not looking at the broader problems. Like if we worried as much as we did about how much color is on my short as, you know, you know, how much money we're getting, if we're treated well, the mental health side, if we worried that much and really put that much effort, which, you know, there is definitely some work you know, that is being done in those categories, but I want to see much more. I don't need to keep getting these, you know, emails saying, make sure you only have this amount of white in your socks and then your shoes can only have this. And then I'm like, yeah, I get it. And there's tradition involved and it's beautiful. It's great to see everybody in all white, but I think there's some really, you know, broader topics that we can be putting this effort in. I don't know what you think about the all white and going tradition. I mean, you know, tell me what you think. I don't really care. 
<laughs> I'm okay. not like a, no. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge kit person. So I, I think what frustrates me about it, though, however, is the fact that um, especially some of the guys who are maybe lower ranked and don't necessarily have. Uh, the greatest clothing sponsor, um, you know, the fact that they have to go through and jump through extra hoops um, to get to that point, and the fact that we've had issues with undergarments um, mm. a- as part of the issue, it just seems absolutely ludicrous to me. Um, and, and on top of that, what really frustrates me, and you haven't really even talked about it, is the fact that, and I, I understand why, because you don't want to ruin the grass, but the fact that you're having to play off-site for qualifying, it really bothers me uh, as a fan. Um, whatever you're feeling, as a competitor, we're feeling twice that amount. And again, I tried to stick away from this solely because I know they're working hard and you can't ruin the grass and all of this, and I totally get that. But let me just tell you this, yeah. and it doesn't feel like a Grand Slam. It's just how it is. You're feeling like you're playing you know, a larger level challenger, it's cool that there's so many courts going on. Um, there's also no seating. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, I understand uh, they just they built a new kind of like a, a hill so you can see multiple courts this year. Yeah, so there's a hill. There's also, I believe, one stands on one court on like the stadium, what they call stadium court or a couple courts like that. But for the most part, you're standing, you know, and there's a lot of issues. I just, you just don't have this, inc- yes, you're playing on grass, so that's a cool feeling, but this Grand Slam feeling, it's just not there. You know, as much as they want it to be there and how hard they're working, it's not. I mean, that's just the truth. And I understand it, but for players, it doesn't feel that way. And that's, you know, there's there's been a lot of issues with, you know, Wimbledon and, and, and the feeling, and they're trying to do this all-white thing, and I'm like, we're not even playing at Wimbledon. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that kind of feeling. It's like, I'm getting all these emails, and I'm also not even playing there. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of, you, you know, you feel left out. It's... So many players, I think one of the things that uh, maybe a more non-tennis expert fan always seem to ask is, what's your favorite Grand Slam? Um, Mm. And when I've heard players answer that question, a lot of them do say Australian Open just because it's a little bit more player-friendly is the thing I keep hearing. um, in in Treat the players the best. Yes. Um, But everybody seems to say Wimbledon just because of the tradition. That being said, the frustration level I, I sense uh, is just so much higher in terms of just feeling like you need to do all these things to, to kind of elevate yourself to what they, Wimbledon believes is their level. And I, I don't know if that's an accurate assessment. I don't. And also, I think Wimbledon has the largest difference in feeling between main draw and qualifying. Yeah. And I think that's one of the issues. Like, re- regardless, I played qualies of australia and qualies and main draw of australia and then qualies of the us open and main draw and qualies and main of of french and i've seen it i've seen that no matter what it's kind of the same and australia regardless of what you're playing in you feel like gold they treat you like gold they you feel like the kind of superstar that you always wanted to be Mm. um regardless if you're you know 230 in the world so there's something to be said for that, but yes, I think Wimbledon goes a little out of there. You have to play within the guidelines of Wimbledon, and that's fine. But there's there's larger arguments to be made. I don't need to be getting emails. I think we should be getting more emails about mental health than anything else. And I think these are the issues that we are, you know, playing with. And I get it. There's a time and place for everything, but 
I, this feels like a waste of time for me. Really? That, that, yes. I, I think people will hear that, and that, that is a startling admission that it's... You know, I don't need to be wearing white. I want to get I want to get an email saying this is how we're going to help make it better. This is how we've, you know, made the little intricacies of the tournament better for you. All of this not, you know, make sure it's one centimeter on your short and make sure your logo doesn't, you know, go this far. In your ha- I was like, you know what? I'm done with this stuff. This is not for me anymore. I just want to play tennis. And that's what the fans want to play. You know, that's what this that's what they want to see. That is, um, but but are are you are you focused when you're on court? Are you able to block all those things out? A hundred percent. Yes, a hundred percent. It doesn't affect tennis in any way. Um, but you know, when you're on the grounds, when you're practicing, like like tomorrow, you, you know, as a man, you actually have to practice offsite. Because hmm. first day know, for women's, yeah. Right, and the women had to do had to play offsite, practice offsite. I'm sorry, today understand a lot of players i get it it's just you know they add up the little the little things add up and then you don't see you know the weight being added on you know the larger things that's just my impression and obviously i know there's people working towards a common goal and they see the issues but let's let's put the stuff to the side and work on the major issues that's where all our efforts should be focused on because again the line judges are wearing blue shirts i think we're getting past it a little bit so let's move forward one of the other big issues that kind of caught everybody's attention last week um, was uh, the next Grand Slam, the U.S. Open. The USTA is looking at on-court coaching um, during the Grand Slam this year. Um, and Roger Federer came forward last week. He also, what, what drew everybody's attention um, was this coaching issue. What drew my attention was the fact that he said that more money needs to be parsed down to first round losers and at, at at the grand slams and also to challengers but the the thing that drew the media attention was his idea that coaching should not be allowed before we get into kind of the intricacies of that particular question what are your thoughts about on-court coaching within matches i'll start this off by saying there's a lot of coaching that goes on mike you know yourself yes. you see it in the challenger level people are talking constantly right and that is honestly one of the rules that isn't regulated enough. Do I agree that it should be? I don't know. I'm just saying it's not, and I mm-hmm. think you can agree. Yes. So seeing the encore coaching, I actually think it's kind of cool. I think it shines a light you know, on a different side of tennis. And do I believe it should happen all the time? No. But you know, the in-between set or something like that, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. And on top of that, I don't know how much it helps. I've, you know, I can, I've spoken to a few people. I know myself. When you're in the moment and you're hearing a few words, yeah, you might take something, but you're truly not going to change your game drastically. You're in the moment. You're playing your tennis. That's how it's going to be. Yeah, you might serve one direction one way or something, but is that going to change the whole direction of the game? I'm not sure. So even during the coaching that we see, I mean, throughout tennis, whether it's from the player's box or on the, you know, behind the court on the challenger level, which I've seen many, many times, yeah. um, I don't know how much it helps. I actually like seeing it. I, when I play somebody who's getting coached, I'm like, wow, one, you know, they're not confident in their player anymore. And two, I know that player is just discombobulated because there's too many ideas in their head. So I don't mind it for, you know, changing that. And I think, you know, with the microphone and that whole deal, like, you know, I'm... 
that's a tricky situation. But I think for at least the spectators to kind of hear what's going on, yes. I don't know. I think it could be a pretty cool thing to get a little insight during a match, and that really won't affect the play. Yeah, that's from my television standpoint, that's what I want to see is I actually do want to hear those interactions. I think it makes um, for great viewing for the fan, uh, again, to show the insight. That being said, I'm also, I struggle with it because of the fact, it, some, of the, some of the exact same things you just said, I like the on-court problem-solving aspect of the sport. Um, 100%. Yeah, and so so yeah, it's one of those things where um I'm a, I'm a big believer in you know to use a cliche that teach a man to fish uh mm-hmm. type of a type of a thing. I I like that in terms of coaches. Um teach teach a person how to think on the court and let them do it for themselves. Um but I think that can still be incorporated if you have as you said limited coaching as in like set breaks. Yes. Um so you know not maybe necessarily up disrupting the flow of a set. I'm actually completely fine with it and have no problem with it. I mean, how much is that player truly going to learn from, you know, whatever the coach is saying? I mean, it's going to be very, very minimal. And I I understand what Federer is saying, and that's exactly what you're saying. You know, this idea that tennis has this beauty that you're on your own, you have to figure out yourself. I don't know if he's also putting in play – I mean, he's played many people that during the match, you know, the box is talking to these players. It happens constantly. And they're really not gaining that much. He's still winning these matches. So I think, yes, I don't know. It's about disrupting the flow of the set, which you said. I think that's very important. I think it should be just a set break. And then, yes, of course for TV. How cool would that be if you're, you know, you're seeing, you know, a coach go back and forth with a player. They're, you know, figuring it out or even a little drama. Yes. Like people were making fun that, you know, there's a few – instances with the coach and um i think it was a female player actually and they kind of went back and forth and i'm like this give tennis a little bit of drama what's yes. the worst that happens i mean it's not a big deal if you know if it's not nothing crazy serious then let's get it out there i mean this is the heart of a sport this is what everybody loves watching sports being mic'd up like, let's give that a little bit to tennis if it's not really going to disrupt it i think that's perfect one issue, though, I, I do have is there's oftentimes, as, as you know, some, some guys who maybe have come through qualifying who don't have a traveling coach with them. What was your situation like when you did play Federer second round Australia? What was that, seven, 17? Is that right? 17, yes, yeah, 17. What was, were you with Stan Boster at the time? Is that right? Am I... I was. Stan and Robbie a little bit on the side, but mostly Stan, yeah. So did you, in those moments, obviously, you have a USTA coach who is helping three, four guys at the time. And so it, you, you at least had a coach. But you think about maybe Darian King, who has Christopher King, his brother, who travels with him sometimes, but doesn't necessarily always have a traveling coach. Um, you know, yourself, you, you're right now coachless. Um, is there too much of a disparity in terms of the financials that a player like yourself, who's ranked in the 150-ish range, you're not going to have coaching at a 250 whereas uh, top seed might 100 percent. and but i have to say that on the spectrum of financials that's definitely at the lower end you know the on-court coaching argument again i don't think you gain that much I, I just i just have to gather that i haven't heard i mean nobody's really come out and say it but i, I don't think i'm gonna hear that Thank God my coach told me to hit a kick serve, and that's why I won the match. I just yeah. – I can't – you know, I can't honestly say that, you know, that will happen. Yes, of course. It's it's going to be tough if you have a team of five, which we even have at Qualies, where some of these guys have teams of five. Right, right. And then 
I have Jamie, who I love her to death, and she's great. But is she going to get me through a tennis match or find a new way to win this match? I don't know if I'm going to give her that much credit yet. But so I understand your point. At the same time, that's that's you know at the lower end of the financial argument. I think I think it's great. I think if you want to have it, let's mic them up. Let's put it on. Let's get a little drama going. You know, let's see them. You know. In the brute of a battle, let's get in the mind of the athlete and the coach. I mean, what better way to really, you know, for the fans to get a, you know, an undercover look almost. What did, uh, if you don't mind my asking, did did Stan at any point give you any coaching during that match? Ooh, you know, I remember playing in Rod Laver Arena, actually warming up prior to the match. Yeah. And he was just, you know, in the back, kind of just telling me. The hard work is done. You know, I fought through a really tough qualifying, you know, really tough rounds with Donskoy and Stebby and Carballos Benya, and then taking out, you know, Bjorn Fratangelo in five set, my first five setter. He's like, you know, the tough, tough part, you know, has been done. Let's show them what you have. Let's let's play fed and just have fun. You're here now. And I remember enjoying, you know, that warm up time so immensely you know I'm, I'm in rod laver arena with the music going actually warming up with mitchell kruger mm. on the other side yeah <laughs> shout out to him and i just you know i i just really enjoyed it and you know the the actual match was a lot of it was a blur i just remember a lot of the highlights but i just remember him saying you know go out there and play so during you know during the match there wasn't a lot to be said it was just you know you got this kind of stuff just you know words of motivation but besides that i was i was ready to play and i think for the best players that's how it's going to be you know they've done the preparation beforehand the encore coaching is just going to be more of a motivation factor yeah uh it i I think one thing stan i thought always did well was just the idea of um making sure you trusted in yourself in those bigger moments um i know you guys split a couple years ago and stan has has gone on to do his own thing but that that was one thing i always kind of appreciated about his coaching style no, I still talk to him to this day. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think he saw kind of the person I am and, you know, how how far it was from my highest level of confidence to my lowest and how that affected my tennis. And he knew a lot of it had to do with my confidence. And if I had that in me and if I was ready to play, that I was going to be tough to stop. And I think, you know, he instilled that within me. And I, I use that to my day. And he, you know, that a lot of my... You know, fondest memories with coaching of other play and with other coaches, they saw that kind of you know idea of confidence and how to really you know enable that in me throughout a year. Confidence is such a, a enjoyable thing, isn't it? Oh yes, that's <laughs> what gets yeah. It's, that's it's, that's going to be an episode for us in terms of just what confidence is and what it means to a tennis player. I know that's something that you you want to kind of talk about. Maybe not maybe maybe not this week as you're you're trying to get through Wimbledon qualies. No, but it's definitely it's definitely a topic of discussion because um, confidence allows players to do crazy things and have some results that you know people wonder about and, and how they come about it. But you know, as a player, you see it before it happens, and we know when certain players are going to have some great results. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely a topic for another day. Well, of course, this week is is I think for me and I think for a lot of the kind of dedicated tennis fans, there are. Um, some higher level ATP and WTA events going on this week. Um, but I, I, the meat for me this week is is Wimbledon qualies. Um, you obviously got through your first round today, as did all the men. I think everything wrapped up as we're recording this about an hour ago with a 12-10 Alex Bolt victory over uh, Sinner. 
Um, good for Alex, a guy who's spent a lot of time here in the States. But the, the meat seems to be uh, Wimbledon qualies. It's, it's a grand slam. Yes, it, it is. You know, people are fighting the way, whether they're, you know, I was going to say, you know, whether they're veterans, up and coming guys, guys just trying to make their way through. You're going to find it all. And there's something to be said for, for you know, qualities of a slam. There's some excitement around it, no matter if it's being held on a playground. I mean, it's just guys making their way, giving themselves a possible opportunity to play a Federer. And right. there's something to be said for that. And there's an excitement around it. And for a true tennis fan, this is where it's at. What's the camaraderie like um, in terms of you guys, the Americans? Um, as we mentioned, let's see, I, I want to make sure I get everybody. Tommy. Paul got through, Christopher Eubanks, Marcos Giron, Donald Young, Bjorn Fertangelo, obviously Smichek over Kruger, you over Michael Moe. What's the camaraderie like for you guys? Is there that idea of let's let's do this together? I think there is. I think there is this, you know, because no matter if it's not the center of attention, there's always somebody that's going to say, where's American tennis, right? You get that question a billion times a day. And you know, I think we take it upon ourselves, and there's definitely guys further up the rankings, whether it's a foe who's up and coming, or you have an Isner who's been there. But we're just trying to make our way through, and we want to help each other. We're all very close, actually, closer than I think a lot of people expect us to be. Um, we're just very friendly, we're very supportive, and want to, you know, want to see each other succeed and make sure everybody's okay. And I think we're playing great tennis, and especially on a surface like this, I think we all have our individual weapons that make us very deadly on this surface. Yeah, I, I will say, though, when, when Maxime Cressy gets there next year, like, I don't think you want to have anything to do with him on the grass. I, that's just no. a, that's just a hunch from what I've seen over the last few weeks. No, I don't want to see that serve and those, <laughs> you know, dink chips. I don't need that right now. No, I'm OK. I, I, I'll try to qualify this year. And so I could just put that aside. I think that's the, the goal, because uh, I, I do believe that's a guy. If you give him a wild card to Newport this year. Ay ay ay! Like that's <laughs> the 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 bounces at Newport and how just crazy things can get on the grass. I I don't want to see any crossing anywhere near me in a draw. No, and the term anything can happen, you know, never applied more to a player <laughs> at a tournament than that. So you know, yeah, and and the confidence definitely is instilled in that one. So I guess we'll see where that goes. ESPN Plus does have some of the qualifying. My understanding today, I tried to flip it on, but they only had one court um, streamed today, which is really too bad, and I hope that increases, especially as you get to the final round of qualifying. Who's up next for you? I got Roberto Quiros next round. Okay. Tough lefty. USC. Yes. Yeah, he's... he's Known very well. Friendly with him. He's a great player. Very tricky on grass, especially. Um, I know some people think he may be a clay quarter, but... His game fits the surface yes, well, does. so so and a we will see. Fantastic beard. One of yeah, one of the more solid all-around yes. beards on tour. <laughs> you don't really get the all-around beards, and there's something to be said for that the respect and the upkeep yes. that it takes Absolutely. within the bomb and the oil. I mean, that's yeah. Don't don't put that aside. Again, 10th hour of broadcasting. This is what Mike Cation goes to. Gosh, that's a, that's a fantastic beard. How does he do it? Does he just wake up like that? I, I got. Apparently, I need bombs and oils. Um, bombs and oils. There's, know, if, if there's that's a Seinfeld, place that's, in Brooklyn. I'm sure you can get to. I'll let you know. With with <laughs> Seinfeld, that's a uh, that means you're an orgy guy if you have bombs and oils, or it just means <laughs> okay. you're like a hipster beard. 
Hey, Any, anytime I can bring a, place a Seinfeld for reference into this is, is the fantastic way to go. I'm more of a Curb Your Enthusiasm kind of guy, uh, so yeah. I'll put those in as we move further in this podcast. Don't yes, you worry. You are an elitist. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that does it for another edition of the Coffee Cast with Cation powered by Behind the Racket. Noah Rubin is over in London. You can follow him online, Rubin 33 on all sorts of various social media platforms. I'm at Mike C. Tennis. If you have any questions, comments, reach out to us throughout the week. Noah's probably going to be a little bit occupied with, with his but time. please reach London. out, though. Please and reach out. I want all the questions. Let's start a conversation. That's all I want. So. And if you have any topic ideas, please uh, let one of us know. We're happy to kind of take those topics and maybe incorporate them into upcoming shows over the next couple of weeks. So for Noah Rubin, this is Mike Cation signing off. You've been listening to the Coffee Cast with Cation and Rubin, powered by Behind the Racket.